on, church. Put your hands together. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I know I am. My name is Holly. I am the Connections Pastor here at Hope. And it is my honor and privilege to bring to a conclusion our uh, series we've been going through, Never Give Up. And we've been looking at the Hebrews Hall of Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, we've looked at these incredible characters who are ordinary people in impossible circumstances. And then God intervenes in a miraculous way so that he would receive the glory and the honor and that his purposes would be accomplished in the earth. And all of them are known for something. Like if I said, Noah and the biblical scholars. Pat yourself on the back. Uh, Scripture often refers to God as the God of Abraham. (laughs) Isaac and Jacob. All right, you haven't had your coffee yet. That's okay. Uh, They're all known for something. And it makes me think, what, what is our legacy of faith going to be? What are the things that we're known for? Uh, When I was in 10th grade, I walked into my Spanish class, and there was a kid that I had been in the class with the semester before, and he knew that he knew me, but he didn't quite know my name, and he looked at me, and he he pointed, and you know, you're just trying to come up with it, and he goes, it's the Jesus girl with the tacos. I have never been paid such a high compliment in my entire life. Because all that he remembered of me was that I never stopped talking about Jesus, and one time I gave him a taco. It's a pretty good legacy of faith, if you ask me. Uh, But Noah, if he walked in the room, you'd be like, the guy with the ark. Yeah, I know that. Or, Or Moses, you're the guy that led the exodus. But the character that we're going to look at today, she was not known for an incredible construction project. She was not known for seeing a whole people walk on dry land that had moments ago had been covered by a sea. She was known by her profession. She's mentioned four times in scripture and three out of the four times her profession is attached to her name. She is Rahab the prostitute. And Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 31, we're introduced to her, and it says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed the spies and was not killed with those who were disobedient. Could you imagine every time you were introduced, like your greatest sin was attached to your name? I was going to come up with an example, and I decided not to. Uh, But could you imagine three out of four of the introductions, even in Scripture, We're talking New Testament. By the time the New Testament has happened, Rahab has gone and passed. She has not lived a life of prostitution. And and she's still being introduced as Rahab the prostitute. But I'd like to suggest to you today that the attachment of her testimony to her name was not meant to bring shame and condemnation on who she once was, but to give those hope who identify with a broken woman because we're all broken. You all look so good. Because when we come to church, we put our best foot forward. We want people to think that our family is perfect. We did not scream at our children on the way here. It was like peace and kumbaya the whole time. You've never fought with your spouse ever. 
Life is good. We are, we are, we are put together people. But the truth is, is that God knows the brokenness of our own soul. And he knows that there is not one who sits in this room that is righteous except by the grace of God and through Christ Jesus. We are all broken people, but the good news is God uses broken people. Her story is found in Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to read a little bit together. It says, And then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim. And if you've ever heard my husband preach on this passage in the young adults, he uses a little bit of a different pronunciation of this word. But we're in main service, and we're going to be holy, and we're going to pronounce it Shittim. Some of you don't get that. That's okay. <laughs> Go over there and look over the land. He said, especially Jericho. So they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. It says in verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Rahab is uniquely qualified for this part of the mission because this was undoubtedly not the first time Rahab had hid men. Need I remind you of her profession? She was uniquely qualified for this part of the mission as she hid the spies and I'd like to present to you today the thought that maybe the very thing you're ashamed of in your past is the very thing God wants to redeem and use for his glory because God uses it all. There isn't one part of your story or your testimony that is too dirty, that is too broken, that God can't say, I can redeem that and I can use that. She said, yes, while batting her eyelashes, I'm sure. The men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. She's lying. She did. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, they left. Again, a lie. Not true. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. Maybe you'll catch up with them. So they had taken, uh, but she had taken them to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof to dry. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fjords of Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, they went up on the roof and said, I know the Lord has given you this land. And a great fear has fallen on us. So all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. Now remember, Jericho is a part of the promised land. The promised land that 40 years early, the people of God, the Israelites, were sent to to scout out. And if you remember the story, they went 40 years earlier and were terrified. They said, we can't go in there. And then they wandered for 40 years. These are the same people they ran from were now afraid of them. Because the reputation of their God had made its way into Jericho. But the thing is, is that God was still God 40 years prior. The difference was that the people of God did not have a confidence in who God was. That God was going to still do the miracle. He had just taken them out of Egypt miraculously. And they're like, mm, I don't know if God can do this. 
Sometimes the enemy gets us running from foes that are more afraid of us because God is on our side. Scripture says if God is for us, who can be against us? The giants of Cana? Surely not. So anyways, continuing on. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and you were able to come out of Egypt 40 years prior and they're still talking about it. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God of the heavens and the earth below. That simple profession of faith, that simple admission of who God is, birth of faith in Rahab's heart. She goes, the Lord your God is God. Then she takes a step of faith. And it was a courageous step of faith because if she had been found out hiding the spies, it would have cost her her life. But she has this moment of faith, and it's not even like this great overwhelming. It's just, the Lord your God is God. Then she takes a step of faith, and she hides the spies. And because of those two small steps forward into faith, there is a big life-saving, history-changing outcome. Because God loves to use broken people. So when you're looking at a story like Rahab's, you have to know that you cannot count yourself out because broken people are God's secret weapon. If you're taking notes, that's point number one. Don't count yourself out. Scripture says, but the woman had taken them, the two men, and hid them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. Remember how we talked about how that was a lie? And then how she said that they left, which was a lie. And then how she said, go quickly after them. You might catch them. They, that was a lie. So this is God's uh, choice. Was a lying prostitute who he chose to fulfill his purpose on earth and display his glory. Tell me again why he can't use you. That's who he chose. Don't count yourself out because God uses broken people and unlikely people regardless of what your brokenness is. And you could be going, oh, she doesn't know my brokenness. She doesn't know my sin. She's standing up there. She's saying all this, but she doesn't know where I've come from. It's true, I don't. But I'm not the one that saves you. I'm not the one that calls you. And the one who does knows exactly where you've been. He knew exactly who had been in Rahab's bed. He knew the sexual sin that followed her life. But God chooses broken people and he redeems them. And then they live differently because of it. So you might say, hey, I'm broken. If God has redeemed you, Scripture then challenges you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live differently and God is going to use you. Because the gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. The first gospel that we come to in the canon of Scripture is the gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 1, it's a part of the story we often skip because it's boring. 
is the genealogy. And so-and-so was the son of so-and-so of the son of so-and-so. Anyone memorize that in uh, children's church? No. But Matthew takes a step outside of the cultural norm when he's giving the genealogy of Jesus. And he includes four women. Because he wants you to know from the outset of the gospel that he is writing, the gospel according to Matthew, that the gospel was not just for men, it was for women too. And then they were not just women, three out of four of them, of the women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, were Gentile women. Because from the outset of the gospel, he wanted you to know the gospel's not just for the Jew, it's for the Gentile. Because the gospel is for all. And the Lord ordained it that those women weren't just like the good church wives, good pastor's wives. I'm a pastor's wife, I can say it. They were broken women. Rahab is a part of the genealogy of Jesus. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. You can't get to Jesus without going through Rahab. And a lot of people went through Rahab. (laughs) Saturday night did not get that. I appreciate you, 11 a.m. But listen, one decision, one stand for Christ can change an entire bloodline. If you're sitting here today and you go, I have children that I am battling with, I am contending for their soul, know that one decision for faith can be enough to change a bloodline. If you go, I don't want my kids making the same mistakes of my past. Rahab's son's name was Boaz, and when Boaz turns up on the scene in the book of Ruth, it says he is a worthy man. The son of a prostitute was found to be a worthy man because God is in the business of redeeming broken people to work his grand tapestry that is so much bigger than what you can possibly consider. And it came to be where Jesus, the Messiah of the world, came to us through. A broken, lying prostitute. The second thing, as we're looking at the life of Rahab, is don't compare and condemn. We live in a world with, like, hyper-comparisons. Social media has us keeping up with the Joneses in ways we just can't. We're looking at everybody else, and we're looking at their highlight reel, and you're comparing it to what's on the cutting room floor of your life and going, I'm not good enough. And comparing yourself to other people will always leave you feeling like you're not enough, like you're not good enough. But as followers of Christ, though we shouldn't compare ourselves to others, we should constantly be comparing ourselves. But the standard isn't how other people live or what they're called to The standard is what's in Scripture. This is what we compare ourselves to. We constantly look at our lives. James calls the Scriptures a mirror. He says, how foolish would it be if we looked in a mirror and walked away and immediately forgot what we looked like? 
The same is true when we walk away from the word of God and we forget to live it. But when you compare yourself to scripture, the result is conviction, which leads us into repentance and into the sanctification that God is calling us to as his followers. But when you compare yourself to other people and their life and their story, you start to condemn yourself. I'm not good enough. If you compare yourself to scripture, well, guess what? You know you're not good enough, but it's okay because no one is because God's goodness has got you. And that's what carries us through. Don't compare. I have an incredibly godly heritage that I am very thankful for. My grandparents on my mother's side were pastors. They have four children, all four children, pastors. Cousins, pastors. There is a strong ministry anointing. Then on my dad's side, you have Pastor Earl, pastor. There he is, this is my hair, looking so good. You have Pastor Scott, pastor. You have Pastor Peter, pastor. You have Pastor Rod, you have the third brother today, pastor. There he is, look at him, looks just like him. Anyways, I digress. Just give him a shout out. But if you go back a little bit further into my family's story, my sweet great-grandmother went to church to mock it. Her and her friends went to poke fun at the message, at the preacher, at everything going on. But she sat there in that church building, and God got a hold of her heart. And she gave her heart to Jesus, praise God. And for decades... Years and years and years, she took her two children to church alone because great-grandpa Keith was not an easy nut to crack, and he was a nut. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, it's worth going and doing just to get to the interview between Pastor and Pastor Earl, uh, talking about his father, um, my great-grandpa Keith, and I learned things about him. He was a wild man. But for years... Earl, his son, who was a minister, he was a pastor, would share the gospel constantly. But that's not who God chose to be a vessel for Keith to come to salvation. His sister was a missionary, and she shared the gospel constantly. But that's not the vessel that God chose to accomplish, to see salvation in Keith's life. It was a woman by the name of Shirley that came over to the house and sat with Keith and shared her story of faith. And if you were to look at professionally who would have been most qualified, if you had have compared and said who should be worthy, who would be enough, would it be the pastor, would it be the missionary, or would it be Shirley the prostitute? But Shirley the prostitute's story of faith is what brought Great Grandpa Keith to a moment where he said, I need Jesus. You can't compare your life to anyone else's because God's going to use you in a uniquely, a way that's uniquely qualified to who you are. And in Hebrews chapter 11, if we went into Tiny Town today, do you know they don't teach about Rahab in Tiny Town? Your kids are going, Mom, what's a prostitute? You're glad they don't teach Rahab in Tiny Town. That awkward moment. But if I went in there and I said, okay, kids, tell me who you think are the greatest heroes of faith. 
the stories that you, who are the great, who should we include? I guarantee they're going to be, David. Do you remember David? He slayed Goliath. This little shepherd boy comes out of nowhere, takes down the giant. Everybody else is terrified. David, for sure, he would be qualified. Or what about Gideon? Do you remember Gideon? He had this measly little army. And they won the battle with a shout of praise and just sheer God intervening. Of course, he would be, Gideon would be qualified. If we compare by worldly standards, which is typically what we use when we compare ourselves to anything. But it says in Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 34, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. But just one verse earlier, the writer of Hebrews had time to mention Rahab, the prostitute. When we look at things from our vantage point and how we think things should go, they rarely line up with God's plans. Because God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He didn't have time. This is their resume. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength. But I don't have time for all that. But I got time for Rahab. You can't count yourself out and you can't be comparing yourselves to other people. And then lastly, you cannot compete for someone else's calling. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than you realize it is. And there is a place for you that is uniquely yours. If I thought, if I had compared, it's, it's, it's birthed out of comparison. If I compared myself to the Groovers, if I competed for the calling that was on their lives, Mark and Gina are our worship pastors, and they're incredible. They have four children who all sing like baby angels, all of them. And if I thought that that's what my ministry had to look like, I would have quit a long time ago because I am a young, and we don't carry a tune. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. There are lots of people in my family who can sing. I am just not one of them. I am a joyful noise girl all the way. But if I thought that that's what it looked like, I would always see myself as not enough. I would always see myself as unqualified. And I would never be on this stage. But that's not my calling. And I don't have to compete with somebody else to be more called or be better than them. I don't have to compete with other pastors that are doing the ministry of the church because the church is meant to be kingdom-minded, not church-minded. So you don't have to compete with other people because there's a place for you in the kingdom. And it's uniquely yours. So that needs to encourage you to know that there is a place you don't have to compete, but it also should challenge you. Because if there is a place that is uniquely yours, then there is a calling that is uniquely yours, and no one else on the planet can accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. He knows who you are. He knows your brokenness. He wants to redeem it, and he's called you to something that no one else can do, to influence people no one else can influence. So though you should be encouraged, you should be challenged. James says in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute 
considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous when she lied? There are not many people in the kingdom since that have been considered righteous for just quite these qualifications. Because the calling was uniquely for her. She was a woman that could hide the spies. She's probably pretty quick on her feet with coming up with lies. The sins that used to define her were now the things that God was using to bring her to a place in the kingdom. Because he redeems and uses it all. Because you don't have to compete for someone else's calling. You have to be exactly who God has created you to be with your brokenness, with your giftings, with your weaknesses. It says, whose weaknesses turned to strength. Because every, every hero of the faith was weak. Every hero of the faith was ill-equipped, unqualified. But they just said, okay, God, here I am. I've got a little faith, and I'm willing to put it into action. And story after story after story after story is how God used it to change the world. And every story in the Old Testament is pointing to the gospel. It's pointing to the cross. Rahab's story certainly certainly is. She's living in a godless culture. They are worshiping false gods. And we live in a culture that worships false gods. They might not be carved into wood, but we worship the God of self. We worship the God of money. We live in a godless culture that doesn't get it. But she comes to this moment, this realization in her heart. She talks about the hearts of the people and that they were melting in fear because of their opposition. But she didn't have a heart that melted in fear. She had a heart that recognized who God was. She recognized she didn't have to fear him. She had to honor him. So she said, your God is the God of the heavens and the earth below. Scripture says when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and that's exactly what Rahab is doing. And you know what she deserved? Hebrews 31 tells us. It says by faith she was saved from being destroyed with those who had been disobedient. Rahab had been disobedient. That's what her, where her story was headed except for the realization who God is and what he was there to accomplish. We're headed for destruction without grace, without the cross. And I'm so thankful that the same grace and kindness that was extended to Rahab is extended to us. Joshua chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, she makes a deal. And again... Rahab's been making deals with men for a while. And she says, I'll hide you, but show me kindness. Show my family kindness. Hesed is the word for kindness, and it's also translated in other places in Scripture as the unfailing love. 
It's the kind of love that is attached to the covenant that God had between himself and the people of Israel. And God was extending a covenant grace and promise to her that she did not deserve. I'd also like to point out this. When the spies chose to show her kindness to the prostitute, she was the great to the 30th degree grandmother of Jesus. So when she said, show my family kindness, when they loved the prostitute, when they gave grace to the prostitute, they were showing kindness to Jesus himself. Be mindful of that. But there is no one in your world that is too far gone or too broken for the grace of God to reach them. And like I said, you are uniquely qualified for the ministry that God has called you to. And your ministry might be the Rahab you think is too far gone. The kindest thing that you can do is share the gospel. If you believe it, if you believe that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid, the greatest kindness we can ever show anyone is to share the gospel. And when we show kindness to people, unlikely people, undeserving people, we're showing kindness to Jesus. Because in the same way that Rahab was family to Jesus, there are people in our world, in our community, because he's going, that's my daughter, I just want her to come home. That's my son, I just want him to come home. And when we have an opportunity to show kindness to the prostitute, we're showing kindness to the very heart of God. And as we're concluding the series, Never Give Up, let me just tell you, the kingdom needs you. It needs you. It needs you in all of your brokenness, with all of your flaws, with all of your shortcoming, it needs you. God chooses to partner with us. And he's called us to never give up, to keep walking by faith, and your faith turning into action. Would you stand with me for prayer? The prayer team is gonna join me at the altar those who are serving communion. If you're a friend and a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to partake in communion. If you have a prayer need, we want you to come and share it. If the enemy has been shaming you because of your brokenness, come tell someone. Because we're going to agree with you in prayer that God uses broken people that he redeems them and he calls them higher. You never know when it's someone's moment. It could be someone's moment today. So we're going to pray a prayer all together. So if you'll close your eyes and bow your head and repeat after me. She say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Forgive me of my sins. I turn from them. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. 
Thank you for new life in Christ. And I look this way before we finish this prayer. If you prayed that for the first time or the first time in a long time, come tell someone at the altars. We just want to encourage you in your faith. We want to equip you. We want to celebrate with you. Or if you're saying, hey, I need to take some steps forward in my, my faith discipleship. We have a book we'd love to give you, some next steps to help you in your journey of faith. Because we believe that God uses broken people and that God wants to use you. I'm broken, and I'm thankful for the way that God has used me. And I continue to want to live worthy of the calling I've received, and also to know that I'm uniquely qualified to do the things that God asks me to do. And so are you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you chose people like Rahab. And I thank you that one day when we stand before you, we're not going to stand with our greatest sin attached. We're going to stand before you with the righteousness of Christ for those who have been redeemed. And we thank you for that. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You deserve all of the honor and all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can come forward for prayer. Come forward for communion.